A simple thought. Monkeys, that are known to have a developed social life, organize in small groups of several dozen members. The size of each of these groups is limited. In order for them to function, all members of the group need to know each other well. The average size of the group changes from 20 to 50 members. When the number of monkeys in a group passes a certain threshold, the social order crumbles and the group tends to split into two separate groups. A similar situation can be found amongst humans as well. The invention of language and gossip has helped us shape larger and more stable groups. Sociological research indicates that the maximum natural size of a group of humans is roughly 150 members. Most humans are just incapable of intimately knowing more than 150 people, so even today the threshold of human organization is around the number of 150 members. Man is a social creature, and the feeling of loneliness can drive him mad. Yet the Western and modern world sanctions individuality. The individual is measured by personal achievements, such as having a career, wealth, a self-image, and consumerism. In this course of action, many people lose their social and familial connections in favor of a self-actualization ideal. As the social fabric in the Western world weakens, it is not surprising that more and more people define themselves as lonely. And thus, loneliness has become the most common ailment of the modern world. One of the possible reasons for this ailment is the online social network. In a world where time is money, in which our surroundings heavily pressure us to achieve more and more, our social life becomes tainted and more demanding than ever before. And then there's technology. Simpler, hopeful, optimistic, ever young. We become addicted to virtual romance, disguised by the social network which supplies an impressive platform that allows us to manage our social life most effectively. However, our fantasies about substitutions are starting to take a toll. We're collecting friends like stamps, not distincting quantity versus quality, and converting the deep meaning and intimacy of friendship with exchanging photos and chat conversations. By doing so, we're sacrificing conversation for mere connection, and so a paradoxical situation is created, in which we claim to have many friends while actually being lonely. So what is the problem in having a conversation? Well, it takes place in real time, and you can't control what you're gonna say. And that is the bottom line. Texting, email, posting, all of these things let us present the self as we want it to be. We get to edit, and that means we get to delete. Instead of building true friendships, we're obsessed with endless personal promotion, investing hours on end building our profile, pursuing the optimal order of words in our next message, choosing the pictures in which we look our best, all of which is meant to serve as a desirable image of who we are. We're expecting more from technology and less from each other. The social networks aren't just changing what we're doing, but also who we are. And that's because technology appeals to us most where we are most vulnerable. And we are vulnerable. We are lonely, but we're afraid of intimacy, while the social networks offer us three gratifying fantasies. One, that we can put our attention wherever we want it to be. Two, that we will always be heard. And three, that we will never have to be alone. And that third idea, that we will never have to be alone, is central to changing our psyches. It's shaping a new way of being. The best way to describe it is, I share, therefore, I am. We use technology to define ourselves by sharing our thoughts and feelings, even as we're having them. Furthermore, we're faking experiences so we'll have something to share, so we can feel alive. We slip into thinking that always being connected is going to make us feel less alone, but we are at risk because the opposite is true. If we are not able to be alone, we're only going to know how to be lonely.
So I saw that video and I wanted to talk to you about loneliness and I saw that and I thought, that says it, there's all the ancient, uh, there's all the modern problems that we have with loneliness and, and how it's magnified by social media and all of that. And so I want to get into this idea of loneliness and, and, and as, I, as I studied it, as I looked into it, I, I realized, man, this is like the original problem with humanity. This is, this is so deep, this is so ancient, that if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, the first time something is less than awesome... Is, is around this. If you read Genesis 1, God creates the heaven and the earth and this entire creation story, and, there's, and God creates animals, and he says they're good. And he creates the land, and he says it's good. And he creates the stars, and he says it's good. And all along, God is pronouncing things good as he creates them. And then he creates us, humanity, and he says uh, humanity is very good. So it, it even takes a little extra, right? But in Genesis 2, what you see is that God has created the man, uh, this guy Adam, and he puts him in the garden, and uh, it's the first time God pronounces something not good. Everything else has been good up to this point, but God looks down at Adam, and he realizes something. Adam is alone, and it says in Genesis chapter 2 that it's not good for man to be alone. That's God's conclusion. Not that it's necessarily sinful. It's just not good that we are alone, and so God creates Eve, this woman, and, and Adam sees her and thinks she's the greatest thing he's ever seen. And suddenly it's like, okay, this is better. There, there's, there's, there's a community here. And, and marriage, we, we trace marriage back to that, that time that those two came together and they were married. But it's not just marriage. It's just community. It's just being with one another and, and having other people around you. God looks down at Adam and is like, man, it's, it's not quite right yet. And Adam's like, look, I, I love the weather here. I love paradise. Things have been great. Thanks for the animals. This is all really nice. But I'm still missing something. And God saw that too and said, man, he's lonely and I need to deal with it. So I want to talk about loneliness and, and, and how deep that is in us. And I want to look at it through a Christmas story as we get here close to Advent. I was looking back at uh, sort of the account of Christmas as it's rolled out in the book of Luke, chapter 1, and I think there's some really interesting ideas in here around loneliness that we see in the young girl who's going to give birth to baby Jesus, a lady named Mary, and I want us to jump into it. Luke, chapter 1, we're going to look at uh, the angel talking to Mary and telling her that she's going to give birth, and I think you'll see some threads of loneliness that are in here. Let's jump in, verse 26, we'll put it on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph to the, in the house of David, and the virgin's name was, was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. All right, leave that up on the screen for a moment because I'm going to point out a couple things here that I think we need to notice. First of all, this is written by a guy named Luke, and Luke's a doctor. And he, he says, if you go back to the very beginning of that chapter, of the beginning of his, of his letter, he says, I'm writing down an orderly account of all the things that have gone on around us. So he, he set out and did his research and interviewed eyewitnesses and, and, and kind of wanted to figure out what really happened and let me write it all down. So he is claiming to be writing historical fact, like history here. He's not claiming that this is a fairy tale or this is once upon a time. And in fact, if you read the thing, that, just the details that are in those verses, that doesn't read like a fairy tale, does it? 
in the sixth month. There's an actual time frame. A, an angel who has a name. He was sent from God. They get sent. It's weird. To a city, a particular city near Galilee in northern Israel, a place that you can see even today, a place called Nazareth, um, to a particular woman, uh, and, and then and she's a virgin, and she's betrothed, going to be married to a guy named Joseph. Here's his family background. All of these details are in there. And to us, that we probably would be like, as a modern reader, you sort of read that and you go, I don't know, that's not enough detail. Because we're used to writing in the modern world where if we had written that story now, we would have been like, and Mary stood there and the sweat dripped off of her brow and she wiped it with a cloth that she had had since she was a child. You know, whatever. Like those kind of details. You don't write like that in the ancient world. In fact, if you compare this writing to other writings from the first century, this is extremely detailed compared to how people wrote in that day. So this is, this has all the marks of history, not of like some, some fantasy fairy tale. And I just want to point that out in case you're very skeptical, because we're going to talk about a virgin birth here. And that's one of those things that if we're a modern, skeptical, Western, scientific, rational mind, we sort of throw a flag there and say, uh, that doesn't happen. And it was a weird thing back then also. And so I just want to point out that Luke is saying, hey, this, this is, here are details, this really did happen. But if you dig into it, what he said is, there's a girl named Mary, and she's probably a teenager, uh, and an angel appears to her and says, greetings, O highly favored one. Um, imagine what that would have been like for Mary. She's scared uh, as, as a, becoming a mother is a, is a scary thing, um, and all of that that entails. But an angel appears to her, and she probably believed in angels. But it's one thing to believe in the concept of angels. It's another thing to have one show up at your house. Like, that's terrifying stuff. Like, appears at the foot of your bed or in your kitchen or in the bathroom or something, or you're out in the garden, and then, boom, there's an angel. That junk is scary. And you can imagine it would be terrifying for her to, to experience this as a, as a teenage girl, this angel shows up. I mean, I mean, like, if an angel showed up to you today, how would you respond? I would be, I would be freaked out. I would like hide under the covers and be like, oh dear God, like what is happening? Like why, what is going on here? Um, and, and it's weird because this angel shows up and says to her, you are highly favored. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. How would you respond to that if you're Mary? Like I'm trying to think how I would respond if God shows up or an angel shows up, a messenger of God and says, God favors you. On the one hand, I might have some pride. You know, I might be like, about time somebody up there recognizes my work, <laughs> you know? Yes, right. I've been doing your work. Thank you. Yes, I'm favored. That's cool. You know, so you might feel that way. Or you might just sort of be terrified. What do you mean I'm favored? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? Because um, it's got to land kind of weird on Mary's ears. If you look at the facts of her situation, she's poor. She's in a very insignificant town, a couple hundred people in Nazareth, in an insignificant part of Israel, which is really the Jews and Israel historically are a pretty insignificant group of people. We're not talking about the Babylonians or the Syrian Empire, Egypt, or, or the glory of Rome or any of that. We're not talking about, you know, Mary was born in a palace in Rome to Caesar. Now that would have sounded like favored. But here she is, poor girl, backwoods town in some little corner of the Roman Empire, and God says you're favored. She's got to be look, looking at that going, uh, you fooled me. I don't feel very favored. Uh, we don't know how we're going to pay for food this week. This doesn't feel incredibly favored. And yet that's what uh, God, that's how the angel describes her. 
As I look at it, I I think this has got to be a lonely place for Mary to be in. I mean, circumstances of your life can drive you to loneliness. If you are longing to be pregnant and you're not getting pregnant, it can feel lonely. If you're longing to be married and you're not getting married, it can feel lonely. If you're longing to be in a good relationship with family members and there's a rift there between family members, it can feel lonely. You can feel cut off. If you have been working in a job and the economy's good and yet you still get laid off from your job, it can feel lonely. Circumstances can make us feel lonely and sin can make us feel lonely. When we burn relationships, when we do things that are shameful ever since the Garden of Eden, when we sin, we try to cover it up and we try to hide. And while we hide, we end up, and the longer we hide in our sin, we end up feeling lonely and disconnected and, and we kind of become ashamed and, and, we, and we hide from people. And, and Mary, I would imagine, not that she sinned here, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all, but I imagine that the circumstances of her situation right now, this is going to feel a little bit lonely. Um, she's the only person she knows that an angel appeared to and said, you're going to be pregnant. Like that's... She's definitely uh, has that feeling where she's like, uh, man, uh, this is really wild, crazy stuff. Like, this is so awkward. Um, And we know a little bit about what she's feeling because it says, look at verse 29, continuing on. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's afraid. We know that because it says so. She kind of like sees the angel and she just like froke out, right? Like she's like, what is, is this? She's deeply troubled, it says. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid, which is par for the course for angels. If you see an angel, you're terrified all throughout the Bible. Anytime an angel shows up, pretty much the first thing they say is stop freaking out. Like, like okay, yes, I know it's a big deal. I know you don't normally do this. You're afraid. I get it. Don't be afraid. That's the first thing angels say. It's like almost the, a telltale sign you've really encountered an angel is you're terrified and they tell you to calm down. So this is a normal thing, and she's freaking out, and she's afraid, um, and, and, and the angel kind of shows up and gives her this news about the name of the child, and he's going to be king forever, and it's like, I guess that's cool news, but it's still like really bizarre to lay on someone, right? And then verse 34, her response to that, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be, for I have not been visited by the stork? Um, you know, she's, she's trying to figure this out, like... Um, and she may be young, she's 13, 14, 15, something like that, but she's had the birds and the bees talk, or whatever they called it back then, the vultures and the locusts talk or something. Like, she, she has had the talk, and she knows where babies come from, and she knows that this isn't right. Like, why would I be having a baby right now? Like, we're not in that position. Um, and listen to the angel's response to that, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. All right, like, I guess that's comforting um, to know that your kid's going to be the Son of God and a king and all these things. Like, that, that sounds like, a, like he has good career prospects for this kid. That sounds good. Um, but the whole thing's scary. It just is. First-time motherhood is scary. Um, 
it, it, you, just, you just don't know. Having a baby, even God's baby, outside of wedlock is scary. And I imagine she was not only afraid, but I think she felt alone. Because if this is true, what the angel's telling her, she is now pregnant, or she will be. And, and she's going to go to her fiancé, who she has not slept with, and, said, and she'll say, I'm having a baby. And he'll say, I'm going to kill somebody. Who, who, who's got you pregnant? And she'll say, God got me pregnant. And that's going to sound like the worst excuse ever for a pregnancy. Like, like, that's going to sound horrible to him. And she knows it. She knows how bad this sounds coming out of her mouth. She knows that his parents, Joseph's parents, are going to hate her. She knows her own parents might disown her. She knows there's social shame in the culture. She might as well be walking around wearing a scarlet A because it's going to look really bad. And she's going to walk around at parties and be like, it's God's baby, and people are going to be like, okay, it's God's baby. Like, it's going to be so awkward, and she probably feels the way you and I have felt it at times, where we, where we think and we tell ourselves, if I speak up about this, no one will believe me. If I say this out loud, no one's going to understand. And one of the reasons we go into to isolated shamed, lonely places is because we repeat that to ourselves. I can't talk about this. I, I'll go to a small group. The church wants to be part of a group, and I'll, I'll get to know some people, but I'm not going to talk about that. I'll talk about the Bible or something safe. I'll talk about praying for my aunt or it's whatever. I'm not going to talk about what's really in here because if I speak up, no one will like me. Everyone's going to think I'm terrible. Everyone's going to be ashamed of me if I say what's really going on in here. And, and that idea sort of drives us to a very lonely place. Look at verse 36. And behold, this is what the angel says next. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who, who was called barren. For, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now I'm speculating here, but I think that the reason that the angel brings up Elizabeth in that moment is that he knows she feels afraid, that Mary feels afraid, and she feels alone. And when he brings up Elizabeth, basically the angel's saying, look, God is with you. Also, somebody with skin on that you're close to is going to be with you in this. And I know you're scared as a first-time mom, but Elizabeth's got a crazy supernatural experience going on as well. Go get together with her. She's going to walk this thing through with you. And, and, and so Mary's response to that is, all right, let's, let's do this. And I wonder if that was hard for her to say. Like, she sounds like super, like, obedient, compliant, like, yes, okay, let it be to me as you have said. I'm going to do what God says. But that, that may be what she said in the moment, but I bet that was hard for the words to come out. And I bet it was hard for her to, like, really live into that over the course of weeks and months, to really believe that, that this really did just happen. And maybe it took her a little time to get there. But I think the reason, and a lot of scholars have sort of speculated on this too, I think the reason Mary was highly favored is because God looked down on the earth and saw her and said, this is someone who will follow. Like if I ask her, she'll do it. Like there's an obedient heart in her, a humble, obedient servant spirit in her. And God saw that and, and that's what she expressed. And that's what she expresses there. And maybe that's a lesson for all of us that God is looking for people who will, who will say yes. God, the answer is yes. Now just tell me what the question is. I'll do whatever 
you need me to do. But I think she's in a spot there that can feel terrifying and it can feel pretty lonely. And so what, what are some truths that we can learn from this? Number one is this. No matter how lonely you feel, the truth is God is always with you. He's walking with you. And this is over and over through Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, you see it. You know, many people have written about this for thousands of years, that God is there with you. Moses, in Deuteronomy 31, I'll just read you a couple. Moses says to the people, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. From God's mouth through Moses to our ears thousands of years later, it is the truth. Psalm 91 God says, and David wrote this down, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. God's uh, communicating that he's with us through this song. Isaiah, this prophecy to Israel, he says this, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. This is God telling people who are in exile, who are freaking out. He's saying, look, I'm with you. Even though it doesn't feel like it right now, when the fire is there, when the river is flooding, I am with you. Jesus repeats the same idea as he leaves his disciples, and they're like, oh no, he's leaving us. What are we going to do on our own? The last thing he says in the book of Matthew, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The apostle Paul, who went through many hardships in his life as he carried the gospel message of Christ across the Mediterranean, listen to what Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Paul recounts his stuff, all the challenges he's been through, and he talks about being on trial, and he says, nobody stands up with me. But even in that moment, God was with me. In the darkest hour, God is there. And if you're not feeling that right now and you're feeling alone, know this truth, especially if you feel it, if you feel alone, know the truth that God is with you. And God knows what it's like to be lonely. God has walked through that. When Jesus was on earth, at the end of Matthew, you see, before he dies, he goes to a place called Gethsemane. And it's a, it's a little garden spot right on the edge of Jerusalem. There's a valley there, right on the edge of the valley. And he goes there to pray. And it's late at night, and it's the night that Jesus is going to be arrested and eventually crucified. So the next 12, 24 hours of Jesus' life from this night are going to be the dark night of the soul, a really hard thing. And he brings with him to pray 11 of his disciples. These guys come with him. They all go to this garden, and they pray. And Jesus goes and says, he goes off by himself. He starts praying. He's like sweating blood. And he goes back to his disciples, and look at what he says, Matthew 26, 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? And this happens a couple times. It's late at night. Guys are getting tired. They just had a big meal. They hung out. It's been pretty intense. Judas said he was going to betray Jesus. Like, it's an intense night. And the guys fell asleep in Jesus' darkest hour. 
How lonely is that? The people you've poured your life into for three years, in your darkest hour, in your moment of need, they just go asleep and you feel alone. This is why the book of Hebrews, one of many reasons why the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, when it describes Jesus, it says he's a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. This isn't a distant God who's throwing lightning and and thunderings in the clouds like Apollo and Zeus. This is someone who's walked in our shoes and knows what it's like to be lonely. So number one, we we need to recognize that, that, uh, that, that even though we feel alone, um, we're not alone. Now, is that helpful to you? Well, kind of yes and no, right? Like if you, if you were in solitary confinement right now, the fact that God is with you might actually be a saving grace to you. You might say like, man, I'm stuck here in this hole, but, but God is with me. And historically, Christians have clung to that truth throughout history in all, all sorts of different situations. Um, but, it, but it may not be too helpful to you, um, and, and that's actually understandable because when Adam was in the garden by himself, God didn't look down at Adam and go, well, you have me. That's all you need. What do you mean? Yeah, you got a garden. You got gray weather. You got animals. You got man's best friend. You got a puppy. Like, what else do you want? I've given you everything. No, even God looks at Adam and goes, ah, it's not quite enough. Like, he, he needs community. And he brings along Eve. And so if number one is that God is with you, even if, you're, uh, even if you feel alone, number two is this, when you do feel lonely, use that as a sign to you to lean into community. Use it as a sign to, to compel you, to drive you into community with other people. Loneliness can be a light on the dashboard. The light on the dashboard comes on and says, something's broken in the engine, get it fixed. And loneliness as an emotion, emotions are lights on the dashboard. Loneliness as as the emotional feel of that is telling you something. And it's not telling you, hey, you feel lonely. It's time for ice cream and Netflix. No, it's saying, hey, maybe this is the time to lean in. Like you're feeling isolated. You feel like no one understands you, that no one will ever get and no one will ever appreciate where you're at. Lean in to others and, and, and reach out. This is... I think the strength of the body of Christ, of a church, of what a church ideally should be. We should be a community. We should be a family where we know one another and are known. Not that everybody in here would know all of your stuff, but that somebody would. That somebody would walk with you, that a small group of people. You saw the video at the beginning. You can't connect with the, you know, 150 or more. There's probably 150 people in here right now. That's, that's, you're, you're capped, right? But like, this should be a community where you can get to know some people. Uh, that's the strength of the body of Christ. When Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, he wasn't talking about people sitting in rows looking at someone talking. That, that's fine, and there's a value to that. But he's talking about it being a, a gathering, a community, a family where we love one another, where we serve one another, where when you are, when you are feeling the boulder you know, weighing you down, another person comes alongside of you and says, let me carry that let me carry that with you. You're hurting. Let me, let me walk with you through the pain. Now, is it easy to ask for help when you're feeling alone, when you're, when you're hurting? No, it's not. Uh, it's a difficult thing. I, a couple weeks ago, um, our car broke down on a Friday, and um, 
and we needed a car for the weekend. We just have the one car, and we had a lot of things going on. And so um, I called a guy in our, our, my small group, a Bill, and I said, Bill, can I borrow your car for the weekend? And I didn't even know if he had an extra car. I just hoped he did. And he did. And he's like, no problem. He's super cool about it. Yeah, easy, just no come get it and whatever. And so we worked that out and, and I went and got uh, his car and borrowed it for the weekend and I gave it back to him. It was super helpful, like big save for us that weekend. Um, and, and later on, you know, as I was talking to Bill about it, he said, he's like, man, I'm so glad you asked. He said, um, you know, I don't know if that had happened to me, if, if, we, if our car broke down, I don't know if I would have reached out and asked for help. And I totally get that because it's the way we feel. It's, it's something about our culture that says weakness is asking for help. Uh, rugged individualist. You need to just figure it out on your own. You, don't, you shouldn't need anybody. But like, even in the history of the scripture, and if we go all the way back to the beginning, you're, you are, it's okay to need other people. It's okay to, to, to have that connection. And so, by me asking, I had to acknowledge that uh, I got a problem, and, and by Bill helping, uh, he got to be generous, which he is, you know, and he got to express that, and if I kept it to myself, he wouldn't have been able to help and be generous, and I wouldn't have got the help that I needed. Um, this is how the community is supposed to work. We reach out and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. Can, can you help me out? We all need this. We all need relationships because we're all weak, and we're all, we all have vulnerabilities, and we need to share, and our culture does not always support this. Our culture drives loneliness instead of uh, helping us come together, as that video showed you. But even in the physical structure, we build uh, homes that are far apart from each other. And the farther out of the city you go, the more you see this. You have the big yard, and you're, you're like the siloed in in all these places, and your neighbor's way over there. And, and you don't like go for a walk. You, get, you just pull your car into your garage door, and you shut that so you don't see them. And, and the further out you go, it can be very isolating and very lonely. Um, you have all this private space, but you, you don't have anything in public. You, there's not much sharing there. And even in the city where you're practically living on top of each other, you can, there's this phenomenon, you see this all over the world, but there's this phenomenon of like crowded loneliness that all these people around, and yet I still feel alone. And there's, there's some challenges that, that we have. And so let me encourage you to lean in when you feel lonely. During Advent season, reach out and say, hey, let's go get coffee. Uh, you know, let, hey, let, invite someone over for, for dinner right? and just say, like, let's, let's be a family together. Next month, we're going to start new small groups at Area 10. In January, we'll, we'll launch some groups in February. We'll be filling them up in January. Get into a small group. I've got so many stories from the semester of people who were in small groups, and, and they went through some hard stuff, and people came around them and supported them. Um, that's the strength of that thing, and that's not something you're going to experience just sitting in, if this is your only experience of Area 10 in this room, you're, you're missing all of that. Get in a group, get to know some other people, um, and I know you're busy. I know you're going to be like, you know, work is a killer. I, I can't make the time to be in a small group, but you know what also is a killer? Loneliness, disconnection. Um, it, 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 it's difficult for us, and so reach out to others and... and um, and, and lean in. And here's the other piece of that. If someone reaches out to you in this community and says, hey, like, can we get together or whatever? Like, say yes. Like, there are people that are trying to connect and, and it's not happening for them. And that's, that's something that really bums me out, I think, about church, this one also, um, is when someone walks in here and no one says hello to them. When someone walks in here, no one acknowledges them. That may happen from time to time, but if it happens like continually, like what's going on there? 
It's so easy to get clicky, to see just our friends, to connect with just our people, and forget to look outward and see who, who's here also that I could connect with, who's, who's longing to connect. And, and I don't want that to be true of our church. We need to be a place that holds hands, that we're, we're bound together, we're a community, but we're facing outward and we're reaching and, and, and loving people um, who, need, who, who, who need to be loved. And and so finally, I want to leave you with this scripture. The NIV version of the, the, the Bible, I think it translates this really well from Psalm 68. Listen to what it says here. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God sets the lonely in families. That's what the body of Christ should be. It's what we aspire to be. But I just love that reminder that God sees you when you feel alone and that he's working uh, and desires to bring you into community. And I'm praying that God does that for you here. Let's pray. God, I pray that the loneliness that we all feel, single, married, whatever circumstances we're in, when we sin, when we, when we aren't, um, I pray that the loneliness that we feel drives us towards you and loving you more, and towards others, and loving them more. Um, God, may we continue to grow in this area as a community, and love and serve one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.